Good morning again. Um, today we're going to, as I said, we're going to dive into a little bit, something a little bit different. We're, we're on this series called God Is, and uh, today we're just pausing that. And the message today was supposed to be God is love, and he certainly is love. I mean, there's so many different things you could point to to declare that as a fundamental core of his character. And I think one of the things that we see with God being love is what love isn't when we look at the world. And what happened in Paris is not a result of a loving God at all. It's a result of hate. And so we're going to uh, dive into that today. And we're gonna, we've got, um, should be something up on the screen here in a second here. We're, we're simply, there we go, talking about how the gospel compels us to respond in certain ways. Um, so probably like many of you, um, I got these notifications on my phone on Friday. And on Friday, uh, I was sitting in the courthouse, probably not like many of you. Um, I was in court for my son. We're working on making this permanent and all that stuff, and, which you'll probably all ask, how's that going? They continued it again. Oh, uh, but that's okay. They're, they're working on it. Um, they keep losing paperwork. It's amazing. You wouldn't think that of the county, right? Anyways, um, so they continued our case again, but we're sitting there, and I'm, my phone keeps buzzing, these little updates, the uh, notifications. I'm like, what is going on in Paris? What is, what is this? I, don't, I didn't understand. I thought maybe it was like a lone gunman at first, and, and I didn't really get what was going on until I got in the car and flipped on the radio and started hearing the reports pouring in, and it just started breaking my heart. It's, it's almost like I, I had feelings again of like sitting on my couch after 9-11, almost like just with the thousand mile stare going, what is happening in our world? Why is this allowed to happen? Why do people do this? What is, what is going on? And so I just really couldn't bring myself to preach my prepared message. And that meant a couple pots of coffee last night, staying up a little bit too late and dig, digging through um, the word of God. But before we get into what the gospel compels us, I want to talk just for a moment. And I, I even hate to give ISIS this much time. But I want to talk for a moment about this organization. ISIS, this is what ISIS has done in terrorist attacks in the last month and a half. And like Pastor Paul said, these are things we don't necessarily see on the news. But these are things that are happening. We saw another one of these on the news. But let me just give you a little outline here. October 5th, 57 murdered in a car bomb in Baghdad. October 7th, seven murdered in a suicide bomb in Yemen. October 10th, 102 killed in a suicide bomb in Turkey. We barely heard about that. Barely. October 16th, five murdered in a shooting in Saudi Arabia. By the way, I'm using the, the word murdered instead of killed or dead. Murdered. October um, October 16th, five murdered in a shooting in Saudi Arabia. Uh, October 24th, one dead in, or one murdered in a bombing in Bangladesh. October 26th, two murdered in a bombing in Saudi Arabia. October 27th, seven murdered in a suicide bombing in Baghdad. October 31st, 224 murdered in that airplane bomb, the Russian airplane that was flying over the Sinai. October, November 7th, 12 murdered in Baghdad after another suicide bombing. October 12th, 43 murdered in dual suicide bombs in Beirut. 
November 13th, 19 died in Baghdad due to, uh, murdered in Baghdad due to bombings. And then again on November 13th, 129 murdered in France through shootings and bombings. These are things we don't necessarily see in the news. We see France, and France goes all over, and, and, and I just Googled how many terrorist attacks have there been. And, and I found this one website that compiles all these, all these different organizations. And it's amazing, just in a month and a half, 608 people have been murdered through this organization. Who are these people? What are they doing? What is going on? What is this group known as ISIS? There's a lot to understand about them. And, and um, I've, I've done a lot of reading. I'm not fully up to it. There's experts that you know, you're probably going to want to hear from that are not me because they, these people, it's their life to study this. But essentially, to boil it down to its simplest equation, they're a doomsday cult. They believe that by murdering and every act of violence they have gets them closer to the end times. That's what they believe. That's what ISIS essentially is. And so this is fanning the flame of jihadists around the world and gathering people because now they have property. Unlike other terrorist organizations in the past, these people now have property and money and income coming in from their property. Oil, energy, um, they, all, all these things. And, you know, I mentioned the, the terrorist um, attacks. But one of the things I, I haven't mentioned yet is systematic ethnic cleansing of the Yazis, an ancient religious group in Iraq, systematic ethnic cleansing of Christians, systematic cleansing of people who are Muslim who do not agree with ISIS and publicly disagree. So there's the numbers that have been killed by this group are staggering. We still do not have the real numbers. And we might not ever know the real numbers, but the numbers of this group are astounding. And they literally believe by continuing doing what they're going to do, they're going to usher in Armageddon. I think they're wrong, <laughs> by the way. I don't think that they are the ones to usher in Armageddon. I think God is the one who chooses when all this ends. We are running up against an end. Jesus talked about this. Jesus did say, you know, there's going to be wars and signs of wars and stuff like this. But, and he didn't say that this is when it's going to happen. What did he say? No one knows the date. Or the hour, no one knows the time. Nobody knows. That's up to the Father in heaven. Only the Father in heaven knows. Not even the Son knows. Only the Father in heaven. So be prepared. And so if anything, ISIS reminds us that we need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. That's what ISIS, one of the things ISIS reminds me of. And, but the other thing is we need to actively oppose this injustice and this evil. It's not just injustice. This is evil. Pure, unadulterated evil. And we need to, as a church and as a larger church, a big C church, figure out how are we going to deal with this group? How are we going to deal with this right now? So the gospel compels us. The gospel should always compel us in everything that we do. So many times we, we look at these events and we see them on, on TV. And I remember after September 11th, and I, I probably never told my parents this, but I seriously considered enlisting. I seriously, I was like, I just, I got to get a gun, and I got to get on an airplane, and I got to go over there and, and kill the bad guys. And, and that was a, you know, a reaction that many people had. And, and, you know, that was something that was in my mind when that happened. 
And a lot of young people my age had that. I was fresh out of high school, going into college. Um, and, and you just initially have these thoughts. But, but that's our sense of justice. Not that God won't use that, but that's our sense of justice, not necessarily God's sense of justice. And so we have to have the gospel compel us and move us in everything that we do. We have to remember that Jesus spoke and lived in a politicized world. In a world in which anything that he said could have gotten him in trouble and it eventually landed him on the cross. We have to remember that we lived in a world that Jesus dealt with this oppressive regime coming in on his territory, killing people. Um, Whenever there was a whiff of result, they'd put people on crosses and kill them. Uh, a, a whiff of revolt, I, I should say. And whenever there was anything like that, Jesus lived in this time and setting. And so Jesus actually has some things to say about this. That Jesus' gospel actually is relevant to what we're going through in humanity. And I hope that all of us would begin to internalize this gospel message and begin to speak it and, and talk it. And there's incredible hope when we see the gospel it's not all fear. So let's, let's go through here. Um, flip with me. Oh, by the way, we have Bibles if you're in. <laughs> that's what Josh was saying back there. For we have Bibles. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Josh will bring you a Bible. And it'll also be up on the screen. And then there's some also fill in the blanks. And by the way, thank you. We have an awesome office team here. You know, I sent uh, new fill in the blank sheets at like midnight. And Aniko had them all printed and stuffed in your bulletins by this morning. So thank you, Aniko, for that. But Jesus begins his ministry, and what does he begin his ministry by saying? It's words that we will easily jump right over. But Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, 17, and he says this. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, initially, we look at that and go, that doesn't say anything about terrorism. That doesn't say anything about our world. That doesn't say anything about anything. It just means repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. near. What Jesus is proclaiming is that the rule of God is available to all who desire it. That God's kingdom rule, that that God's in-chargeness, that's not a word, I just made it up for this sermon. That that God's ability to reign and control things is available. God's rule for you is available. Jesus didn't come, a lot of people confuse what the gospel is. Jesus' gospel was that he is available for you right here, right now, wherever you're at. And that he has this new kingdom. And there's new ethics in this kingdom. There's a new way of living. There's transformation in this kingdom. This kingdom is all-inclusive of, of what God has to offer. It's entering into the life of God. And that it's not that you get saved now and then one day go to heaven. No, it's you begin a relationship in God's kingdom now and you're in heaven now. You're covered under his grace now. And yes, when you die, yes, absolutely there's a reward called heaven. Paradise, Jesus calls it. Absolutely. But the first thing we have to remember is that the gospel is that the kingdom of the heavens has come near. In other words, God's kingdom is available to us. Why is this important in the world stage? There are literally millions of other kingdoms wanting your attention. There is a kingdom of ISIS that they are creating because they want to draw people into their kingdom. 
we have our own little personal kingdoms called selfishness, where we just, we only want to be with ourselves eventually in, in life, where we only want what's good for us. We only want to do what we want to do. There's kingdoms of, of other um, peoples. There's cults of personality. There's all kinds of kingdoms, all sorts of kingdoms in this world. And the question is, what kingdom are you going to be a part of? Now, obviously, you're not going to be a part of the kingdom of ISIS. I hope none of you would be. But there's a kingdom of darkness that is directly opposed to the kingdom of God. When you look through the Bible, you see one of these two things. When you look at really big themes of the Bible, you can look at a lot of different themes. You know, you look at the theme of covenant, the theme of kingdom, and, and, but one of the themes is the theme of good versus evil all through the Bible. And you begin to see it right there played out in Jesus' life. Right in the very beginning, the theme of good and evil. There's a kingdom of darkness. And I really do think that ISIS has sold itself out to that. Without a doubt. ISIS, like I said, is trying to build their kingdom on earth. It's a kingdom of evil. It's a kingdom of darkness. With these major world events that are coming all around us, I'm, I, the question I think that's so important is, have you accepted the reign of God in your own life? Reign, as in like a kingdom, a king reigns over his kingdom, or a queen reigns over her kingdom. Does God reign in your life? Does he have your attention? Is he in control of your life? That's the first question. Is he there? Because if not, then we will essentially get pulled to whatever kingdom demands our attention. And we'll go to any of these kingdoms. Well, I think the first thing that the gospel compels us to do, and I just have this little list of what does the gospel compel us to do? And then we're going to look at these kind of both in an individualistic way and like in a world global way. So the first thing that I want to say is the gospel compels us to overcome fear. One of my favorite authors, uh, Dallas Willard, says, this world is a perfectly safe place to be in when you're following Jesus Christ, when your life is in Jesus. And you, you hear him say that, or you read it in one of his books, and you're like, why on earth would he say that? Does he not see the terrorist attacks? Does he not see what is going on? Does he not see this? But when you begin to understand that you're living in God's kingdom with his reign over you, then simple issues of life and death don't matter anymore. When we begin to understand Jesus, we, we begin to understand verses like 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five, where it says, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? When we understand verses like Luke twenty thirty eight, where it says, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for to him all are alive. This idea that even though we die... Our physical bodies might die. We still are alive with God. This is what Willard means by the world is a perfectly safe place to be. In fact, one of the things that Jesus said is, don't fear people who could kill you. Don't fear that. Fear the one who could throw you into hell. <laughs> fear God. All through the Bible, when the word fear is talked about, it's talked about in, regard of fearing, uh, in, in regards of fearing God or having this love and deep respect of God, not being afraid of him. But 
there's these, these verses, like, he is not the God of the dead, but the living, for to him all who are alive. What does that mean in Jesus' economy? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, all of you are my treasures. I'm not willing for you to not exist. What I want, you are my treasured people, and I want you in eternity with me. So yes, a terrorist attack could claim our lives. You could be hit by a bus. Life is difficult. Life has these things, these things that we can never predict that happen, that hurt. Death stings to us. But yet the gospel says, oh, death, where is your sting? Let me give you an example of this. And I showed this example once before in church. In the 16th century in Holland, a group called the Mennonites were outlawed. And when they were found, they were often executed. One of them, his name was Dirk Wellens. By the way, why don't we name our kids Dirk anymore? What a great name, right? Dirk Wellens and was being chased across an ice field, uh, a, a pond, a frozen over pond, when his pursuer broke through the ice and fell in. In response to his cries for help, Wellens returned and saved him from the icy waters. His pursuer was grateful and astonished that this man would do such a thing for him. Nevertheless, thinking it it was his duty, he arrested Wellens. A few days later, Wellens was executed by being burned at the stake in Holland. Now, my point is, it is precisely because of this guy, Dirk Wellens' Christ-likeness that he was executed. That as Christians, we are not exempt from the usual things of life. We're not exempt from the things that happen in life just because we're Christians. We're not exempt from the world's usual problems. But even so, I believe Dirk Wellens is with Jesus in eternity. This world is still a perfectly safe place to be because when you're covered by God's grace and when you live in his kingdom, whether you live or die, you're with him. Nothing else matters. Now, fear is not a um, sin. It's not a sin to be afraid. People get afraid all the time. It's a natural reaction. Um, I used to, growing up, um, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I like to hide behind doors and jump out and scare my brother. And I did this almost every single night at the same exact time. I don't know why he didn't pick up on it, but every single night, he'd fall to the ground. Wow, you know. Fear is a natural reaction to usual things that happen in the world. But over and over and over again, Jesus talks about anxiety. He talks about fear, and he says, do not be afraid. See, ISIS wants to institute fear, and that's the way they want to colonize your brains. I realize that sentence sounded almost insane, but it's true. That ISIS wants to instill fear in you. Fear to use the economy, fear to do normal things that you do in life, fear to go out in public. Now, and obviously, you should all use wisdom and discretion, but you, we will not be um, colonized by fear. And we have to be careful not to let fear rule us. See, fear is what is sold to us on our media. I mean, really, when you look at it, we, we have to be careful even what we watch on TV. What do they sell? on news, whether right or left or anything like that, is fear, right? They want us to be afraid of things. And just look at their adjectives and the words that they use. Breaking news, shocking, disturbing, you know, things like this. They want us to be afraid. Now, they want us to change our narrative, to join with them 
and being fearful. At least that's the way I look at the news. I look at the news and go, that drives me nuts. I'm not going to be afraid. I think that we need to reject fear. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus, we need to say, Jesus has me covered in his kingdom. I will reject fear. Because when you begin operating out of fear, I mean, just imagine your own, in your own household, when you begin operating out of fear, you start making unwise decisions. You start doing things that, <clears throat> that might not honor God. Instead of operating out of fear, we have to operate out of faith. Faith that God is love. Faith that God is good. Faith that God really does provide. Faith that God really is here with us. The next thing I want to talk about is that the gospel compels us to overcome evil. The gospel compels us to overcome evil. And we've seen this right in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Right in the very beginning. I mean, before he, Jesus even starts with, with this... Um, with his preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Before he even does that, he goes to the desert and is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he overcomes that. There's this temptation there of appetite, ambition, and affirmation. And, and there's these temptations there that, that, that to get Jesus to pull away from his mission. That was the very first thing that Jesus was tempted by. And yet he overcame that. It's almost as if to start his ministry with God, he had to defeat evil first. 1 John 3, 7 through 8 gives a beautiful mission statement of Jesus. It says this, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, um, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's why Jesus was around. That's why God sent his Son. He defeated, um, he defeated the, the devil's temptation early on in the beginning, and then he stood victorious on the cross. He died, and the devil thought he had his day. The devil thought that he had won. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating, uh, defeating even death. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But we have to become the kind of people, the sort of people that will overcome evil within our own lives. That we need to identify what is contrary to God's love. And we have to identify that. And, 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 help, and we have to um, ask God to help us overcome that. There's a reason why the word discipleship has the word discipline in it. Because it takes discipline in our lives to figure out what it takes to overcome evil. So maybe some of you have had some previous hang-ups and, and some hurts and some things that, that caused you to not honor God and, and, and that led you astray. Maybe some of you have had that. But through a disciplined life, you're able to walk away from that. And it's hard. Discipline's tough. Right? And sometimes it draws you back, but, but discipline is tough. And so we have to overcome evil in our own personal lives. One of the ways that we, we talk about this is uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, We demolish, or demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That's a disciplined life. To take captive every thought and say, Lord, is this of you or is this not of you? Lord, we want to honor you in every single 
thoughts. So how do we defeat evil in our own lives? The first is if you have not said, Jesus, you wave the white flag, I surrender to you. I'm going to live in your kingdom under your protection, under your guidance, under your love. Then that's the first step in defeating evil in your own life. is to surrender yourself, your will, all who you are to Jesus. But how do we defeat evil in this world? I mean, that's the tougher question. I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, when I look at God's plan, he's got all these churches everywhere, pow, 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 just littered all over the world. And, and it's almost like there should be a more coordinated, better revolution of Christians attacking this world with love and, and bringing people to know who Jesus is, bringing people to repentance and forgiveness. But it doesn't seem that well coordinated, right? I mean, there's two billion Christians in the world, and it just doesn't seem that well coordinated. Not because God isn't coordinating it, right? It's because I think sometimes we get stuck in fear or bickering. Arguments over petty things like, what should worship sound like? Or who should be preaching this week? Or, or you know, what kind of color carpet are we going to have? Or what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? You know, we get stuck on these petty things, and I think God is just like, man, we got bigger fish to fry, you guys. We got bigger fish to fry. We need to go after this world and reach people, tell people about my love. This world is so hungry and so starving for leadership and for the love of Jesus. And then if we show people that we could defeat evil in our own lives, then I think that'll be a very attractive thing to the rest of the world. I think, if anything, these terrorist attacks make us, push me, at least, to say, I need to be more intentional about living my faith in the marketplace. I need to be more intentional about living my faith in the world. I need to be more intentional about telling people about Jesus and that he loves them and has a plan for their life. It makes me be a little bit more urgent about this, to say we need to get over whatever petty things that we have. When I say the church, I mean everybody. Not just our local church. I mean, there's literally thousands and thousands of churches, even in California. And we'd have a better coordinated opportunity, a better coordinated um, way of sharing the gospel with the world. We need to show the world that transformation is possible and that we cannot be hung up on things that are evil. We have to share that Jesus can make you into a new kind of person. The other thing I think we we need to do around the world is we need to identify systems of um, evil, identify systems of um, systems that that actively work against God. For example, homelessness. uh, Homeless people are not evil, but in state of homelessness. That, that's not the way God wants people to be. God wants us to go after people and help them and take care of them. That's one local thing. What about human trafficking all around the world? What if we demolish systems of evil around the world? Human trafficking. What if um, we looked at and said, what if the church can do something about genocide? What if we could speak into that? We need to identify systems of unrighteousness and evil around the world, and the church needs to actively, A, speak out. 
We need to use our voices. We need to speak out and be. We need to act in some appropriate way. I I mean, that's going to be different for whoever has different kinds of resources. That's going to be a very different thing. Sometimes it just simply means giving. Sometimes it, it means something else. But we need to act. The next thing that the gospel compels us to do. The gospel compels us to love our enemies. Now, this is the the part of the Bible that is so fun for me to preach. And then around the time of terrorist attacks, I just want to kind of forget that it's in there. I mean, seriously, I'm like, oh, do I have to say that? You know, you you want to just say like, oh, let's just nuke them right now. You know, like that's the knee-jerk reaction. But Jesus constantly came against our knee-jerk reactions and got into the heart. There's already posts on Facebook and pressure that will pressure us into believing. And now, this might be divisive, but I feel like I need to say it. There's going to be posts on Facebook and things like that that will pressure us into believing that France got into this mess by allowing refugees into their country the same way that we want to allow refugees into our country. Now, what we have to understand about that, put on your political science hats for a second, France has a very different history acting in the world in colonialism. It has relationships with these states a lot longer and a lot different relationships and therefore allowed some extremist people into their country in ways that the United States never would. So the argument doesn't necessarily match up. We can't just say, oh, all refugees shouldn't come in. All refugees are our enemy. We can't do that. We've got to be very careful about that. But that's one of the things that the media is proclaiming at the moment. We can't buy into that lie. The gospel compels us to overcome hatred with love. Nowhere is this more powerfully portrayed than in Matthew 5, 43 through 45. It says this, You have heard that what was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. You might not like what this has to say. I mean, sometimes I read, like I said, in the midst of a terrorist attack, you read that and you're like, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. But why does God want us to do this? Because when we sinned, before we knew God, we were once enemies of God. At least that's how we set ourselves up, that we enjoyed sin and worldly pleasures and fleshly pleasures way more than, than God. And we set ourselves up as enemies of God, yet God sent his son to die for us because he loves us. God essentially loved those of us who set ourselves up as his enemies first. And he wants us to reveal that to the world through our lives. So when you love your enemy, you're actually putting the gospel on display. When you love somebody who doesn't like you, you're showing them what Jesus did for you when you didn't like him. You're showing the world a God of love when you love your enemies. And so I don't know how this looks. I, don't, I honestly don't. I don't know how this looks on, on a country scale. I don't know how this looks with militaries and armies. I, I honestly don't know how this looks other than interpersonally. Interpersonally, this is what we're called to do. This is what Jesus says that we have to do because it puts the gospel on display. The next thing, the gospel compels us to welcome strangers. 
Uh, quit preaching now, Pastor. The gospel compels us to welcome strangers. Like I said, there are people fleeing Syria for their lives. The people who are fleeing Syria for their lives are not ISIS sympathizers. Some of them might be. There might be a couple of them. Just like every male that travels to Asia is not a sex tourist, right? Not every man from America that flies to Asia goes there for sex tourism or to sleep with children, right? Just as every refugee does not belong to ISIS. We have to be very, very careful the way that we approach this. The debate is already starting to rage. In our media cycle, we have to understand our media cycle just brings everything in. And what they do is we're also in an election year. And so everything gets through the lens of what do these candidates say? What do these candidates say? And it goes back and forth, back and forth. And again, it puts us in a posture of fear and joining sides. But we need to come back and say, what does the gospel say? What does Jesus say? What, how, what, what are we supposed to do? Matthew 25, 35 through 36 says this, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. That after a a parable. And then he says, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. There are people fleeing for their lives because they don't have food. The statistics are something like, um, I, I had the statistics for the speech I did um, at the UN Church Center a couple months ago, so I'm going to try and rattle these off the top of my head. Of those fleeing Syria, there essentially, there's 11 million people fleeing Syria. There's only 14 million people left in Syria. There used to be something like 25 million people in the country. Of the people left in Syria, 75% of them are starving. War kills your food supply. It kills roads, it bridges, it demolishes plants. They've actually gone to the doomsday vault and got seeds out of the vault to try and make more plants. I mean, these people are suffering, suffering people. If any of us were in the same situation, we would want somebody to extend a welcoming hand. I'm not trying to advocate for state policies or anything like that. I'm simply saying Jesus says that we have to welcome people and love them. I don't know how that, whatever the state's going to do, the state's going to do. But as far as we're concerned in the church, we need to do this. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, Jesus essentially was a nomad. I mean, he had different places to go and people wanting to feed him. And, and he was a popular guy at the time. And so people wanted to give him things. But he says things like, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We have to look at the world situation and say, Lord, what do you want us to do about this? What do you want us to do about this? Now, obviously, we need to use wisdom and discretion, and our lawmakers need to be very careful, and we need to be in prayer for them, and and they need to use a lot of wisdom in in how they're going to let people into the country. Absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, that needs to be taken care of. But as far as the church is concerned, we need to love these people. And you might not think this is super relevant right now, but as the larger world, as Russia and the United States begins to enter this conflict, the refugee crisis is only going to grow. In fact, we're in the world's largest movement of migrants 
that has ever been recorded or seen at this very time right now, it actually gives us the best opportunity to evangelize the world because we can share the gospel. We don't have to go to Pakistan. Pakistan can come to us. We don't have to go to Iraq. Iraq can come to us. And we can share the gospel with these people. But our world is going to change. It's been changing. The next thing is the gospel compels us to pray. I love this quote about prayer. It says, When we pray, we enter into the real world, the substance of the kingdom, and our bodies and our souls begin to function as if they were, as if they were created to function. As, for the first time, as they were created to function. I'm sorry. Let me say that again. When we pray, we enter into the real world, the substance of the kingdom, and our bodies and souls begin to function for the first time as they were created to function. We must address God with our worries and our concerns. We've got to bring all this stuff before the Lord. We've got to bring what's happening. We, we just need to ask God to, to make us into the type of people that can overcome this evil. We have to ask God to, to, to be actively a part in this and help us to, to be a part. We need to just bring this before God in prayer and petition. And sometimes you're like me on Friday and you just don't know what to pray. You're so overcome with grief. And I love this verse out of Romans 8, uh, 26 through 27. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches out our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So in other words, your husband or your wife, you come home after a long day, and hey, how was work, honey? And you're like, ugh. And they're like, oh, one of those days, right? They know everything that happened at work that day. They know who annoyed you. They know, you know, who, who got on your case. They know what went well, what didn't well. And all you had to do was go, ugh, right? You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we just go before God and we're so distressed with the world's problems and we just go, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. You've got to do something about it. And, and the Bible says the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Sometimes when we're faced with grief and the world's trouble, the only thing we can do is sit before God and lament. And lament the state of what is going on. And I believe he's listened to you. And then wants to bring you to a place of joy. That's where Psalms 40 come, Psalm 40 comes in. He wants to set your feet upon the rock and have you sing a new song. But we've got to go there through prayer. And the very last one. The gospel compels us to share the gospel. Now, there's a lot of things that can be done in the world situation about this, and, and, and I don't really know all of what those are. I mean, it's so new, this Paris situation, but terrorism isn't new. And I know that one thing that we could do is share the gospel. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I really believe that the gospel has the power to transform lives. I believe that the gospel has the power to take a murderer's life and transform it. Look at Paul. Paul was breathing out murderous threats against Christians. Paul was wanting to kill the church. And yet Jesus showed up 
and transformed his very life. Look at when we share the gospel, when we share the good news, your life doesn't have to go down that path. It, you don't have to, to do that. You could, you could follow Jesus and, and your life could be transformed. When we begin to share the gospel, we're sharing life. We're sharing life. And when we do this, it begins to transform people one by one by one. So today, I, I really do believe that the gospel has transformative power. I really have seen, even in this own church, I've seen lives change. I've seen marriages stick together that should have never stuck together. I've seen, man, just, I, I've seen people overcome things that you would think they could never overcome because Jesus has the power to transform lives. We cannot get comfortable in our chairs. We have to. We are compelled to share this with the world. We have to share the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel really can help us overcome evil. The gospel really does move us towards love. And we have an obligation to share that with the world. The gospel compels me to grieve the gospel compels me to love my neighbors. The gospel com uh, compels me to welcome strangers. The gospel compels me to overcome evil. The gospel compels me to pray. The gospel compels me to share the gospel. I want to invite us to just a time and a moment of prayer this morning for the world and for God to speak. Because so many times we go through these kind of big world situations and even the thing that happened in Indianapolis this week, that murderer and we just don't know what to say and I think the answer is we need to listen to God. Let's pray. Lord, we need to hear from you. God, we don't know entirely what to do and sometimes we feel so small we're just one person. We can't do anything. Lord, I know I feel that way at times. What difference can I make? But God, the reality is you see us differently than we see ourselves. We see ourselves as small and ineffective, but you see the church as one body acting in the world. So Lord, I just want to offer my hands. Take my hands and use them. Lord, our hands, take our hands and use them in this world for love, for restoration, for forgiveness, for embracing. God, take our minds and use them for your purposes. God, to find creative ways to overcome conflict, to find creative ways to share the gospel, to find creative ways to keep people from harm to find creative ways to love. But God, take our minds and help us to use them. Lord, take our feet and help us to go. Go into all the world and to share the gospel. Lord, help us to go to our family's house this holiday and share the gospel. God, help us to go whenever we go on a business trip or a vacation to share the gospel. Lord, Help us to go to our schools and to share the gospel. God, help us to go. You take our feet and use them 
And Lord, take our mouths and help us to proclaim. Help us, give us the strength, give us the words to speak. But Lord, take all who we are. Take away our fear. And give us the confidence that we are with you no matter the situation. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.